And so using that past performance, again, it works in other areas of our lives. Um, you know, sports, it works really well. LeBron James, I always like to say, was a great basketball player for the Cavs. He won, when he went to the Heat, uh, he was a great basketball player. And now that he's with the Lakers, he still is. His performance has persisted. In investing, you know, it just doesn't work that way. Welcome to Retire Smarter with Kevin Krosky. Find answers to your toughest questions and get educated about the financial world. It's time to retire smarter. It's another edition of Retire Smarter. Welcome back. Walter Storholt here alongside Kevin Krosky, President and Wealth Advisor at True Wealth Design, serving you throughout Northeast Ohio and Southwest Florida as well. You can find the team online at truewealthdesign.com. Click the Are We Right For You button to schedule a 15-minute call with an experienced advisor on the True Wealth team. Kevin, what's going on in Florida? How are you, sir? Uh, we're doing great. We're doing great. We're, uh, so Florida, uh, Florida is good. Uh, again, we're kind of, I want to say stuck here, but, uh, we made the decision not to travel back to Ohio, uh, Memorial day weekend when we were originally planning just to not introduce any COVID risk, uh, to our family. So we're hunkering down here. When you, now, when you say Florida is good, you know, the rest of the country is giving you that side eye that like, <laughs> okay, well, that's an interesting <laughs> choice of words. Well, well, our, our, our home is good. Let's put it that way. Okay. So there you we go. Are, there you go. Yes, we are. We have masks. We have N95 masks. I actually just bought some face shields. I uh, got them delivered. Uh, not that I've worn them yet, but um, yeah, we're no, we, we're good. We're you know, we're doing uh, in Florida this time of year. You gotta if you're outside, you better be near some water. So we've talked about doing some of the boating, which is coming along. Take the girls over to the pool a lot. My uh, my younger one. Um, I mean, she's just or or two kids could be more different. But my uh, soon to be two year old Cameron uh, is. She no fear, none whatsoever. So we were over. There's a splash pad in our community, and you know, she's going down these slides. And there was uh, there was a couple boys. They were like four or so, and the one boy it was the first time that he had been there, and he was a little scared uh, to go down uh, one of the slides. It's uh, pretty strong jets, and he was scared. And here, my my little you know, nearly two year old just kind of pushes him out of the way, <laughs> goes down the slide in front of him. So he was feeling a little like, oh man, this little girl just went down. I better go. Um, and then the other four year old boy had been there, had been he's kind of monkeying around, but he was going down the slide in a way that he shouldn't have and wasn't exactly safe and particularly wasn't safe for my two year old. But of course she wanted to emulate him and was doing so before I could uh, grab her. And so she just did this pretty bad face plant and I went running in and she was crying and I picked her up and she just then she stopped she stopped crying and climbed right back up so I came came back over to sit under the shaded area which is very much a necessity from the Florida sun and uh the four-year-old's dad said dude he's like your kid is tough (laughs) she just went down again so she's uh she's something but um my older one is she's an absolute sweetheart but um uh, they're very different for sure. So just really interesting to watch them. It is. I think that's one of the fascinating things about kids. Um, we were at the beach uh, recently as well over the July 4th holiday. And uh, my cousins uh, have young children. And it was interesting to see. We met one of them for the first time. And uh, she's about two now. And uh, the other set of cousins, uh, they're twins, about four. 
And so the, these two four-year-olds and this two-year-old, the four-year-olds have been to the beach before, and it's been a slow process of getting them like used to the sand, used to the water, very slow process to get them comfortable out there. And like, you know, the one kid will like pick up his hands after his hands get wet and the sand gets on his hand and it's all caked on it. And he'll cry from like, ah, there's sand on my hands. Like, what do I do? And the two-year-old sounds a lot like Cameron just gets out there and she just like runs face first into the waves and just like, <laughs> just like they had to like go grab her and like throw a, throw a life jacket on her before like they even could blink. And she was just loving it. And so that's how I was as a kid. She she, then my mom kept saying, she's like you when you were a little kid, because there's videos and pictures of me literally just like looking like I'm passed out or dead in the surf as a kid. Cause I just love the waves just, you know, coming and pummeling me and the sand was just, you know, getting in every single crevice of your body, you know, that kind of thing. And, <laughs> and this two year old was this exact same way here. Her little, you know, cousins are scared of it getting a little sand on their hands. And she was just like, uh, you know, just wrecking the whole place everywhere. It was just fascinating to watch. So I love watching those differences play out in kids. Well, glad to hear that you are well. And um, uh, the face shields, do you intend to use the face? I've only seen one person actually with the face shield out in public at the grocery store. And it was a younger guy. And I said, going with the full face shield, huh? And he said, yeah, mom won't let me work without it. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm debating a trip, um, considering a trip back to Ohio from, just for myself, uh, not for the rest of my family. So N95 mask, face shield, um, you know, some, uh, you, you name it. So if, if I'm going to do it, I at least wanted to be prepared. And so I'm considering it. So it's more of the, the planning ahead nature that is very, very apropos for my chosen profession. There um, you go. So, so we'll see, but uh, better to have and not need than need and not have. That's right. Yeah, that's a great point and uh, a good, a good thing to leave it on. That's for sure. Well, if you listened to the last episode, you know that part two of a conversation we started on the last episode is on the way. We first started talking, Kevin, about this idea of stocks diverging from the economy. The economy, you know, is shaky a little bit in several regards. Lots of bad news out there, yet stocks at the time of this recording, again, have just sort of been trucking along over the last couple of months and recovered from the bottom a lot quicker than expected. But part two of this conversation is going to look forward a little bit to say, okay, okay, well, have we, have we gone too far in the other direction? Are we overconfident? And that buzzword, are we now speculating instead of investing? And how do we avoid crossing over that kind of line in the sand, if you will, to use our beach references on the show today? So investing versus speculating kind of being our guiding compass. Uh, what do we need to know? A lot. Um, and I'm actually going to start it with uh, a question. So the, we've been getting a lot of questions from clients as well as uh, new clients that we're working with and prospective clients that we're talking to uh, just about, you know, hey, if they have cash, you know, should I invest it? How? When? You know, those kinds of questions. Um, in the last episode, we talked about how uh, many of our clients, we advised that they increased risk and, and that has certainly paid off pretty well, uh, even though it wasn't necessarily a timing decision. Um, and some of the questions they're asking now as well, I mean, do it, does it make sense to stay here? Do we t take that risk off the table? All of this. But so I, I was reading, um, it was uh, an institutional investor magazine. And it was a survey that was conducted by readers of Institutional Investor Magazine. So obviously, as the name implies, these are professional investors. Uh, so uh, you know, it could be people like me, but it could also be um, pension funds, could be people that manage college endowments. Uh, it tends to be more on the institutional side and not necessarily, uh, you call people like me more so on the retail side working with you know, Joe and Jane consumer that are playing for planning for retirement. 
So these are these are definitely a little bit more of um, I guess you would call it the big boys in the pension fund world and endowments and things like that. And the question uh, that was posed was this: Are markets factoring in the long-term impact of the coronavirus appropriately? Too much or too little? So uh, let me read it again. So are markets factoring in the long-term impact of the coronavirus appropriately? Too much or too little? And Walter, I, I did not share this with you in advance. So pretend you, you are an institutional investor for a moment. Actually, just give me your own opinion. Don't even pretend you're an institutional investor. So what do you think? Is it, uh, if you think of uh, equity markets, is it too little? Is it appropriate or is it too much? Uh, I would say too little. I feel like we're not going to recover economically as fast as we would like or predict. So I think maybe we have we have over rebounded. That would just be sort of my initial gut, uneducated opinion. Okay, so you fall in with the sixty five percent of institutional investors uh, in terms of the too little category. So you're in the majority there. So sixty five percent. It's not usually good to be in the majority. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm nervous. <laughs> well, you're in the institution. You're a big boy now, Walter. You're an institutional investor. So um, so you're, you're within that crowd. So kudos to you in that regard. But um, but that's what they believe. I so, always strive to be institutionalized. <laughs> <laughs> well, good job. Now you can share with your wife that you officially are. Um, so, yeah, 65%, only 5% said too much, 30% were, hey, it's appropriate, and then 65% said it was too little. So, again, it was the long term impact of the coronavirus set our markets factoring in. So, interesting that you mentioned that the economy was not going to rebound as quickly, uh, which in the last episode we talked about how the economy and the markets aren't exactly the same thing. So, it I won't kind of dig too much deeper on that, but it was just interesting that you that you chose the word the economy right. um, when the question was, are markets factoring in the long-term impact of the coronavirus? It shows how ingrained it is into us, even though we just had a conversation about how it's okay that they diverge. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? Yes. And, you know, the other thing too, when you think of uh, what, what came to your mind, like our markets, so markets is a very broad term. What came to your mind when I asked that question? jobs uh you know kind of like flashed in my brain and then uh honestly when you say the markets this is kind of interesting i think of and maybe this is just because of the pandemic but i think of shops and stores and uh, employment are buildings full of people and so i think with everybody working from home and potentially that being long term that's that's just sticking in my mind of like we're not going to see places as full as they used to be i also feel like commercial real estate is going to take such a huge hit that that's going to create major problems down the road that's sort of the other i guess the third component bouncing around in my mind I agree with you, and we've heard a lot of that in the conversations that we've been having with with clients uh, and, and and new clients. Um, the other thing that we that I think a lot of people where their mind goes when when they say markets is just what they see on the nightly news every night. You know, hey, the the Nasdaq did this, the S and P did that. You know, and, and that's certainly a big part of the U.S. market, and the U.S. is about half of the world market. But as we've talked about in prior episodes as well, with some of the technology, the big, large cap technology companies, you know, they're, they're more than 20%, nearly 25% of the S&P 500. The NASDAQ is almost entirely technology-based companies. And so it's really maybe not 
fully the wide swath of sectors um, because some sectors, many sectors are underrepresented, like real estate that you mentioned, um, energy, you know, certainly used to be a much bigger component. Now it's a lot less industrial companies, things like that. I mean, the technology companies have become bigger and a bigger part of our economy, but also they become an even bigger part of the market just because of their outperformance. And so, you know, some of the, and we're not even talking about other countries. I, I guarantee you whenever we, people listen to this and if they think back on when I asked that question and I said, are markets factoring in, they probably thought about the same sort of things that you thought about, or they thought about, again, the stuff that they see on the nightly news. They didn't think about, well, well, let me think about how Europe is done or Japan or, or China. And are, are those markets down more or less than you? They didn't, they didn't go there. You know, they're, you're listening to this in the U S and if we have some listeners outside of the U S maybe they went to the country that they're in. Um, but that's kind of what we're conditioned to think about. And if you look at uh, the sectors in general, not let's see out of, for the first half of the year. So through, you know, 2020 through June 30, through the first half of the year, seven of the 11 sectors, uh, basically sectors, and then you can break down sectors into certain industries, but seven of the 11 broad sectors were negative for the year. If I do a little bit of adjusting there and I say, hey, Amazon, you're really more of a technology company, which is probably what most people think about when they think about Amazon, uh, but technically they're in a consumer cyclical sector is where they're classified, which is debatable. And then you think about like Google and Facebook, which are also some of these big tech companies have done really, really well, certainly technology companies, but they fall in the communication services sector. So if I just set those three companies aside from those sectors, then nine of the 11 sectors in the US are down. Again, technology is up. Basically, everything else is down. Walter, you want to take a guess at what the other sector that's positive on the on the year, slightly positive? What's that? Uh, take a guess. It's. Uh, I'll give you a hint. It's close to home. Clo oh, financials. Uh, or... Think about your wife. Oh, so. oh, healthcare, healthcare, healthcare. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. so healthcare my, is slightly positive. Close, yes. to, close to my home. Gotcha. <laughs> close to yeah. <laughs> so, um, so the broad swath of the economy is down. It's really again the technology companies. We've we've talked about this in the past, but um, that's really you know what's been up. If you go down to small companies in the U.S., let me back up for a moment. Uh, large companies in general, like the S and P 500, comprises about 75 percent of the U.S. market. Market. And again, the U.S. market is is roughly about you know half of the world or so in terms of the investable universe. So small companies in the U.S. comprise about ten percent of the U.S. market. Uh, small companies are down you know thirteen percent. If you go into small value companies, they were down twenty four percent through the first half of the year. If you go outside of the U.S. Uh, into developed markets uh, and in dollar terms, you know developed markets, Europe, Japan, Australia. I mean, they were down about eleven percent collectively. And then emerging markets, you know, think China, Taiwan, South Korea, India, Latin America to a much smaller extent, um, they were down about 10%. So really, it, you know, our markets, if I go back to the question, the survey question in Institutional Investor Magazine, are markets factoring in long-term impact of the coronavirus appropriately too much or too little? If I'm going to be nitpicky here, I'd say maybe the question wasn't all that great. Markets is a very, very broad term. And even though this is Institutional Investor Magazine and these are, you know, educated professional investors, I guarantee you their mind went to a similar place where yours went, Walter, or towards these large U.S.-based indices, uh, probably to a lesser extent. 
than yours or people that are listening to the show. Um, but that's where it went to. It's just it's just a home country bias that they tend to have. So it, it really kind of depends what markets we're talking about. So I think that's an important point to make. But let's just say that we are talking about maybe the more expensive parts of the market. So the NASDAQ uh, through the first half of the year, again, almost all technology-based kind of companies is up 13%. Or if we look at specific companies that are in there, uh, if you look at, uh, say, Amazon, Amazon's about 135 times earnings. Uh, Zoom, ever, Walter, we're talking uh, at least in part through Zoom right now. Uh, mm-hmm. And PE ratio, so price to earnings ratio is just a way to value companies. You know, take a guess what Zoom's p- price to earnings ratio is. Ooh, I'm, I'm just going to say good. I would say rephrase that and say hi. So, um, so so everybody probably people listening has probably never heard of Zoom before the COVID situation. And if you look back kind of on their trailing earnings, they're 1400 times the price is 1400 times their trailing earnings. And their forward earnings, um, you know, given some estimates that analysts makes, it's still 208 times their forward-looking earnings. Comparatively, let's just talk about the S&P 500, for example. If we go back in time to the last 25 years, the S&P 500 trades about 16 times forward-looking earnings. So let me pause there for a moment. So 16 times versus uh, 135 times for Amazon, more than 200 times for Zoom. Um, yeah, that's pretty, pretty high price, pretty nosebleed territory. Got to have a super ton of growth to even come close to going ahead and justifying paying those those nosebleed kind of prices. But even if we look at the more broad-based S&P 500, so again, it's become more tech based it's you know more than uh 20 25 just between the five big technology companies with facebook apple amazon microsoft and google um but even the s p 500 is trading at 21 times its forward-looking earnings right now so that's basically about you know a 24 25 percent above its 25-year average so has it come too far too fast? Um, again, I think that's what those are some of the things that were in the mind of these institutional investors when they were surveyed. It certainly seems uh, like that has been the case, particularly for some of these popular stocks that have come through COVID. Um, frankly, only time will tell. But you're seeing a lot of this sort of euphoria in these certain names. And uh, day trading was pretty prevalent in the dot-com era. You're seeing a lot of that again today. Um, a lot of millennials are, uh, you're seeing news reports. Unfortunately, there was a sad story a couple of weeks ago. Um, a millennial was doing some day trading. He logged into his account through a platform called Robinhood. Uh, and basically he was using some options which uh, have leverage to them. And uh, th- what he saw was, I think he owed like, uh, he was negative 700 or $750,000. And uh, that did not go very well in terms of his mental processing. And, and unfortunately, he ended up taking his life. And his suicide note, uh, at least somewhat blamed uh, this Robinhood investing platform. Um, so you're hearing stories like this. And there's a lot of evidence to show that there's a lot of this sort of day trading that's going on. And of course, it's in these popular stocks that people uh, have become more accustomed to that are garnering attention that have gone up a lot in price. So I think it's it certainly seems reasonable that a lot of the the looking forward part that we talked about, which I think is appropriate when you look at the stock market, it certainly seems like certain parts have extended to beyond the prudent looking forward and going into more of the speculative category. 
it's interesting to hear that kind of uh, I don't know it, it, that perspective is really hard to wrap your head around and you're right how you define the market really does impact your perspective on it all uh, whether you have a more global view or country specific view uh, how closely you tie the economy into this conversation of the stock market and then just your personal situation right Kevin I mean as a 30 something versus somebody who's entering into retirement your view of maybe what speculation is or how how much tolerance you have it's not just a risk thing right but it's just sort of uh, it's a little bit more involved than even just the risk conversation as we get into this sort of speculation versus following true, you know, good proven financial principles that you like to put in place. You've got to take into account your own feelings and situation on the subject. Well, I think you, you're kind of getting to an area that it makes sense to talk about uh, when you talk about emotions and maybe why some of this is happening. So uh, let me maybe weave in a little story here that uh, maybe is at least in part a bit humorous. So uh, I, you know, I was born in 76. I remember watching uh, The Simpsons when it first aired in the late 80s uh, for a Christmas special. And I was basically hooked on The Simpsons after that and watched a ton of reruns of it throughout my college years. And when I read this uh, survey article, uh, from Institutional Investor Magazine, it made me think of uh, something I remember Homer saying uh, that related to investing. And uh, what Homer said was, uh, he said, this year I invested in pumpkins. Uh, they've been going up the whole month of October and I got a feeling they're only going to peak uh, right around January, then bang, that's when I'll cash in. And so Homer here is looking at the prices of pumpkins continue to go up throughout October. You know, obviously we know what uh, holiday is at the end of October and, and the pumpkins are pretty prevalent around that time period. And he's just looking at recent past prices and, and projecting them forward. Or maybe we'll go to the next month and think of uh, the month of November. Um, uh, Walter, what, what, what kind of food do you think of when you think of the month of November? Uh, sweet potatoes. No, turkey. Sweet pota- <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, sweet, sweet potatoes are inanimate objects, so turkey's much better. Thank you. You didn't ruin my story. Uh, I was already going to the cooked, to, to the cooked side. <laughs> <laughs> so, so think about the life of a turkey. You know, the turkey, I don't know, I've never been to a turkey farm, but the turkeys are getting fed every day um, by these humans, maybe by some robotic equipment. I'm not sure. But they're getting fatter and fatter, and they're like, hey, man, this is a pretty good life. Yeah, I'm stuck in here with a bunch of other birds, but I'm getting fed. I'm happy. Um, life is good. And then they keep believing that all the way up until, I don't know, you know, late October, early November. And then something pretty drastic happens in the turkey's life. What, what happens, Walter? Um, they are killed. I was going to go with a more colorful description, but we'll keep it basic. The turkey's life changes, not necessarily for their good, maybe for our good, if you're not a, a vegetarian, I suppose. But, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of another example where, you know, things continue in a line for a while until it it changes. And the, in the case of turkeys, uh, it changes quite dramatically. In the case of the pumpkin prices, again, it changes quite dramatically. And you, it's interesting, I, you could play that out every month has something, right? I mean, we just had July 4th recently. So the price of fireworks, fireworks. you know, <laughs> is always ramping up right before the July 4th. I mean, I've, I've been to shop for fireworks on the third, and it's extremely expensive. And I've been to shop for fireworks on the fifth, and you can buy the whole place for twenty dollars. You know what I mean? 
<laughs> right. So some of these, obviously with turkeys or fireworks or Christmas decorations, you know, we, we kind of know when these times are, when things are going to be really different. You, you don't have that clarity with stock prices, but some but, of the but sometimes you're the turkey and you don't know how it ends. <laughs> <laughs> yes. and, and there's actually, it's, it's our brains that, um, that kind of do this. Um, so if you think of investor psychology, it, our brains just work and they take very shortcuts that tend to serve us pretty well in many areas of our lives, but it, it tends to set us up to make some pretty common and repeatable investing mistakes. Um, using past performance like, you know, hey, pumpkin prices increasing or whatever it may be is one of those. Um, in fact, there was a 2011 study. Uh, it was at one of the big national discount brokers like Schwab Fidelity. And uh, these researchers looked at all the trading decisions for a bunch of DIY investors. And wouldn't you know it that they found that the investment purchases that they had made um, had outperformed the market over the prior two years prior to their purchase by 40%. So it's not like they bought the things that were out of favor. <laughs> like, okay, hey, the price got a lot cheaper. They're like, no, hey, man, this thing has gone up 40% over the last two years. Uh, on average, I'm going to go ahead and buy this because it has done really well. And then what they found, the researchers found was that the thing that they sold to free up the cash to buy what they bought that had recently done well, if they wouldn't have done anything, if they would just held on to the investments, they would have actually been better off and had more money. And so using that past performance, again, it works in other areas of our lives. Um, you know, if sports, it works really well. LeBron James, I always like to say, was a great basketball player for the Cavs. He won, when he went to the Heat, uh, he was a great basketball player. And now that he's with the Lakers, he still is. His performance has persisted. In investing, you know, it just doesn't work that way. Um, the other thing that I think really is, comes into play here, and so it, just to make sure I actually draw the line back to what we were talking about. So these stocks that have done really well, particularly you know Zoom, Amazon, many, many others that are like that and within, generally speaking, the technology or the biotech space, you know, there's kind of just, hey, we're looking at it, it's going up, so it's going to continue to go up, so we're just going to go ahead and pile on. Um, that's speculating. Um, that's, you know, you have to find kind of the greater fool to go ahead and willing to pay the higher price than you because when the price becomes detached from the fundamental valuation, then, you know, eventually the music's going to run out and people are going to be looking for chairs. If you think about something else that people do, Walter, you're a millennial. I, will, uh, I won't say pick on you for a moment, but what is FOMO? Oh, uh, fear of missing out. Yes. And so FOMO, uh, I think it was uh, kind of coined maybe 20 years ago or so, but it, it's really, I, I, I think, been exacerbated by a lot of these social platforms like Facebook and what have you. And it's easy to share information. What are people doing? Oh, they're having fun. I want to have fun too. Oh, they're making money in the stock market by buying Zoom. I'm going to do that too. And a lot of the technology makes it so much easier. Um, so FOMO is there, but it, even kind of related to that, um, if we think back a little bit longer term, more of like a herd mentality. It serves really well when we were like in tribal times before our culture was industrialized and we had pretty harsh conditions that we had to deal with. Well, hey, maybe we were going to get hunted. Uh, we had to find food, hunt and gather. We really needed to go ahead and have that herd and foster cooperation within the groups. But today, you know, certainly we don't have that sort of um, harsh, I would say nothing like those harsh conditions, but we still have that sort of a, a similar brain and, and that brain func our brain functions in a way that was ingrained over many, many, many years to go ahead and, and get us where we are today. But the shortcuts that it takes or these behaviors that it's kind of has ingrained to it, like the herd mentality, 
or maybe the modern day version of it in FOMO um, doesn't really serve us well. And I think it's probably contributing to a lot of the euphoria that you're seeing in certain pockets of the market. Um, there's, I mean, there's other kind of things that the, the mind does, again, that maybe worked pretty well in the past or in other areas of our lives, and but doesn't necessarily work so well investing. But whenever you're buying something for several hundred times earnings, I mean, and, and just think that for a minute. I mean, if you're buying something for 10 times earnings, just doing simple math, basically, Basically, you know, whatever you buy today, you're going to get paid back over a 10-year time period. You can kind of simplistically think of it that way. If you're buying Zoom for 200 times earnings, well, I don't know about you, Walter. I think I, maybe I hope I live 200 years. <laughs> maybe <laughs> I don't, depending on what the quality of those years looks like right. and what sort of innovations we have. And if I have enough resources to live that long, quite frankly, after I'm done working, whatever that may be. But um your your, bra- your your brain will live in the cloud for 200 years. Just, <laughs> yeah. we don't Zoom know. better have <laughs> Zoom better keep zooming in terms of their earnings. If anybody's going right. to make any money on this stock, unless they're going to find that greater fool, is what I'm saying. Um, so hmm. uh, there's a lot of that that's going on. So again, we started talking about markets. Uh, I think the question was kind of poorly phrased, but these were institutional investors that answered this, and um, two thirds of them think that basically the market is factoring in the long term impact too little. So just as as you believe, Walter. So I think you do have to look through that a little bit. I don't think it was a perfectly worded question. You have to look to these earnings. You, and and again, who nobody really knows right now. I mean, probably about half of the companies that usually uh, do provide earnings estimates are not doing so right now just because they're saying like, look, we don't know. <laughs> the last quarter was pretty crazy. And so because we don't know, we're not going to provide any guidance. But I think uh, as you know, we're in July, now people are going to be reporting Q2 earnings. Uh, I think they're going to have to start providing some more guidance. And I think we're going to start having some more clarity on really what we can expect. But there's still a ton of uncertainty because who knows exactly how the pandemic is is going to continue to manifest. Uh, is it going to come under control? It's probably going to continue to vary both over time and over states and countries uh, until we do get that widely distributed vaccine. So there's a lot of wide-ranging outcomes that we can have now. So even though we're going to be getting earnings estimates, I mean, you got to take some of this with a grain of salt. So what does that mean? I guess maybe let's kind of bring this home. What What do we do as investors? Well, it's the thing that we should always do. You know, first and foremost, you need to have a financial plan. Um, if you're in retirement, you need to make sure that you know where your income's coming from and how that's going to be derived. The shorter term money that you're going to need should be in shorter term, very high quality assets, cash, high quality bonds, so on and so forth. If you look out longer term, uh, yeah, there's certain parts of the market that are still marked down, you know, quite a bit. And as long as those companies stay in business, it's likely that you're going to see a big rebound in prices in certain parts of the market as a lot of this uncertainty does um, go away. And we do work through this over, you know, the next, you know, one, two, three years, whatever it may be. Hopefully it's not longer than that. But you need to be starting with a plan. The investments need to be aligned, you know, to your plan, making sure you're taking the appropriate amount of risk. You know, again, if you can be a little bit more opportunistic, if you have the ability to do that, you know, then then we could look at that. Uh, but you have to start with the plan. Is nothing is done in a vacuum here. Uh, and then, you know, this wasn't in a Simpsons episode, but uh, it was a Nobel Prize uh, winner that said diversification is the only free lunch in investing. So all of those different sectors and countries that I briefly mentioned as we went through the episode today. Frankly, we should own all of that um, to varying degrees. We may, may want to overweight some uh, some assets other rather than others. 
we may not want to completely, you know, go away from some of these technology companies that are expensive, but we may want to go ahead and prune our, our allocation to it a little bit and put it into the, some of the things that, um, that haven't participated as much and, and um, frankly are a lot cheaper. But, you know, Homer would probably say, you know, hey, I like the concept of free lunch. And for Homer, maybe diversification means, I don't know, beer and donuts. Um, but we need to think a little bit more than that and, and, and do a little bit more analysis in terms of what that needs to be. The final thing I will say is, uh, and I, I think I mentioned this in the last episode, but uh, Vanguard came out with a report uh, recently saying that 90% of their, their, their investors, their accounts uh, have made no changes this year. Um, and that may sound good on surface. I, that's great that they did not panic out in March and were able to get the rebound. However, you know, they didn't change their allocation. Maybe some of them should have been raising more cash uh, because they are in retirement and things are more uncertain, or maybe they're in a higher risk uh, business and maybe their job is more prone to not being around and they need to, you know, change their financial plan and thus have some changes made in their investment plan. Um, they didn't rebalance in in March after stock prices had gone down 30, 40, 50% in some cases. They didn't sell the bonds that had held up in value and buy the things that have fallen in price. That's a big mistake. They lost out on a lot of return and a lot of dollars there. Uh, for the taxable investors, they didn't realize tax losses that they could have realized in March and completely avoided or really mitigated income taxes that they're gonna have to pay this year on their investments and probably next year and the year after. These are all things that need to be done. Um, you know, the, the process for planning is as well as for investing is dynamic. And the inputs to that process have been changing in very quick order this year. And while there's a lot of uncertainty around some of these inputs, nonetheless, you know, certainly some things are becoming much, much more expensive. Other things are not. Um, all that needs to be factored in and adjusted accordingly, and it's going to be ongoing. And so as we get new information, again, it, it, the process stays the same. The inputs are changing. And as certainty around those inputs uh, increases, then you're going to be able to take more conviction in making a decision whether to overweight or underweight, own more stocks, own less stocks, whatever it may be. But the do-nothing approach is, is really falls short and certainly having the bad behavior approach, whether you're like Homer and just chasing pumpkin prices or maybe like some people just zooming on the Zoom price or other technology stocks uh, or on the other opposite side of the coin if you were panicking out. Neither of those is really a good investing decision. That's where you get into speculation and that's no way to invest your hard-earned money or your life savings. And too often we're making these decisions uh, in a vacuum and not considering how it impacts our overall financial landscape, our overall financial plan, our future, um, everything that is to come. You have to take into account all of those things. You can't just say this is this is one good opportunity and isolate everything else, or at least you can't. It doesn't seem like you can do that very often from what I've learned from you, Kevin. You've got to keep it all in perspective and all in focus and in the picture. And so if you have had any trouble doing that yourself, um, making sure that you're making wise financial decisions, looking to be proactive and not just following the herd, that herd mentality anymore, uh, reach out to Kevin and the team. You can schedule a 15-minute call with an experienced financial advisor on the True Wealth team by going to truewealthdesign.com and clicking on the Are We Right For You button to schedule your call. That's truewealthdesign.com and click on the Are We Right For You button or give a call to 855-TWD-PLAN. That's 855 893 7526. 
Kevin, we don't want the herd mentality to turn into to lemmings following one another off the cliff in the uh, in the financial landscape. So we look for good leaders. We look for people who are uh, proactive in this space. Something that I think it misses, uh, it's, is, is missing from this space many times. But I appreciate your perspective and your guidance, your ability to look forward, to put things into perspective and to challenge the norm and uh, making us all a little bit smarter when it comes to retirement today. So thank you. Well, I I do my best and I appreciate you saying that, Walter, and I hope it's helpful for the people that are listening. Absolutely. Well, we'll look forward to talking to you again on the next episode, Kevin. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in today as well. Don't hesitate to reach out if you ever have any questions at all. For Kevin, I'm Walter. We'll talk to you next time right back here on Retire Smarter. Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accurateness and completeness cannot be guaranteed. All performance reference is historical and not an indication of future results. Benchmark indices are hypothetical and do not include any investment fees.